Nearly every summer at Westminster, I leave the lectionary behind and preach eight eight to ten sermons on some aspect of the biblical text or our theological tradition which has caught my interest in the previous year or so. A few months ago, I was moved by a statement I read from the German literary scholar Eric Auerbach, who said that particularly in comparison with classical literature, the literature of the Bible marks the birth of a spiritual movement in the depths of the common people within the everyday occurrences of contemporary life. In other words, it is in the loves and hates, the hopes and fears, the strides and stumbles of ordinary people that God is both known and active in the world and which is narrated in Scripture. Thus, this this summer's sermon series will highlight four men and four women from the Bible and hold them before our eyes that we may observe what they experienced, what moved them, and how God may have been present to them. With some, we will likely have some passing familiarity. Lot's wife, the centurion on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea. Others will likely be entirely new to us. Paltiel, Orpah, Huldah, Justice the mother of Rufus. For some, I will be giving traditional interpretations that that have been developed and passed down through centuries of Jewish and Christian study. For others, I will be giving less traditional interpretations, some that are rooted in my own imagination, but always seeking to present what is at least possible within the carefully crafted words of Scripture. I preach these, this series in hopes that most, if not all, of these characters will serve as a mirror in which we can see some reflection of ourselves and as a lens through which we may catch a glimpse of God in our world. For like these biblical characters, we are common people in whose everyday occurrences a spiritual movement has been born. Let's hear now the story of Lot's wife as it is found in selected verses from the 19th chapter of Genesis. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. 
So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and left him outside the city. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and even what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, in word and in sacrament, be here for us. Amen. In one of the toughest stories in Scripture, after God has started over with creation through the flood, after God has dispersed the human race following the Tower of Babel, and after God has called Abraham and Sarah to be seeds of a great nation through which all the nations of the world will be blessed, God appears ready to start over once again with the grand but disappointing experience of the human creature, at least with that part of the world containing the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. After visiting Abraham and Sarah in their tent, three people who are alternatively described as men or angels tell Abraham that they are on their way to Sodom to destroy it. But unlike Noah, who had passively accepted God's plans for destruction, Abraham argues with the Holy One and excises from God a promise to spare the city if ten righteous people can be found there. Two of the angels, men, then proceed to the city while one stays behind with Abraham and Sarah. In the city, the angels find Abraham's nephew, Lot, and urge him to flee with his family in light of the impending destruction. Lot immediately tries to enlist two residents of the city who are engaged to two of his daughters, but both think their father-in-law is jesting, and they remain in the city with their future wives, Lot's daughters. Meanwhile, Lot, his wife, and their other two daughters flee, and they are told not to look back. But in their flight, Lot's wife, who is never named in Scripture, turns around, looks back, and immediately becomes a pillar of salt. Lot and his two remaining daughters continue their flight. When they arrive at the place the angels have agreed for them to go, the daughters assume that the three of them are the only people remaining on the face of the earth. Just as Noah had gotten drunk 
after the flood and had been violated by one of his sons, these two daughters get their father drunk on successive evenings. They become pregnant by him and they give birth respectively to the nations of Ammon and Moab. Centuries later, from the line of Moab, Ruth is born, as is David the king, as is Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah that we worship. Now, Lot's wife is critically remembered in scripture and tradition as the person who looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. In her backward glance, she violates a tradition found in several major religions of the world against looking back once one has been called by a deity. She is one who, in the later words of Jesus, puts her hand to the plow but looks back and therefore is not fit for the kingdom of God. When teaching his disciples about the need for absolute commitment, Jesus had warned them as a negative example to remember Lot's wife. If Kierkegaard wrote, purity of heart is to will one thing, Lot's wife is one who is double-minded. Thus, in traditional preaching and teaching across the centuries, this unnamed wife of Lot serves as an example of how not to be if we seek to be committed and faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. But a close reading of this story at least least opens the door for a more charitable and humane interpretation of Lot's wife. Notice that when the angels are speaking to Lot, They say, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. The words who are here indicate that Lot and his wife have at least four daughters, two of whom are prepared to flee from the city and two of whom choose to remain behind to marry. In addition, note that the angels describe the punishment as falling on the city not specifically on Lot or his family, and not specifically on Lot's wife. The angels are saying that if Lot or his family choose to remain behind, they will suffer as a natural natural consequence the same fate as all in the city. In fact, when this event is referenced in Deuteronomy, everyone in this city is blanketed with salt, Lot's wife is neither singled out nor even mentioned. In this line of interpretation, the turning of Lot's wife into a pillar of salt is not so much an expression of punishment directed specifically at her as it is a natural consequence of her choice. In addition... When we look at the nature of her choice, we can come to a more positive appreciation of Lot's wife. While her husband and two of her daughters obey God and flee toward safety, she looks back at her two daughters who have chosen to stay with their future spouses. 
Going one step further, I believe it possible that that Lot's wife is actually included in Scripture less as someone who disobeys a commandment of God, but more as a woman, a mother, a human being, who in a moment of life or death makes an instinctive decision not to flee with her daughters who will be safe in favor of remaining behind with her daughters who will not be safe. As such, she is the model of a parent who chooses to suffer the fate of her children who are in danger rather than remain with her children who are safe. She chooses to be with her children who will suffer rather than with her children who will survive. She chooses solidarity with the suffering over life with the living. Like the Messiah who will come centuries later, her act is one of ultimate identification with and sacrifice on behalf of her children. A few weeks ago, as we were preparing dinner, I was telling my wife, who is also a Presbyterian minister, what I was finding in this research on Lot's wife. This is what two clergy talk about when they're married to each other and are fixing dinner in the same kitchen. Who knew? Who knew? When I told her that two of Lot's daughters remained behind, Maggie immediately said, that is why Lot's wife turned around to look at them. Lot's wife reminds us of every woman who so identifies with her children of any age that she will do anything to be with them. Anything. She's the mother of the disabled child who will only leave that child's presence for a few minutes, maybe an hour at most, even 12 to 15 years after the child comes into the world. And even then, she will only leave nervously and with the absolute certainty that someone is there for the child. Lot's wife is the father of the child with special needs who knows he does not and cannot spend the same time and energy and money with his children whose needs are not as special. Lot's wife is the mother I knew whose second child, a son, was bedridden and unable to communicate from the time he was injured as a teenager until he died in his late 50s, and whom she visited at the facility in which he lived two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours every day of his life. Lot's wife is the mother and father of the two boys in wheelchairs in the youth group of a church I served. Boys just two years apart, born with the same genetic condition, 
the mother of whom said to me on the church mission trip, as she pushed a wheelchair with one son up the ramp of their specially equipped van, while her husband followed pushing the wheelchair of the other son, we do believe that God has considered us the best equipped people to bring these two boys into the world and care for them as long as we can. Lot's wife is every parent or adult figure who looks back or never gives up on children of any age, children with addiction issues, children with mental health challenges, children who have been shamed, bullied, rejected, abused, or traumatized for whatever reason. She represents all those who never turn away from their charges. The good shepherd who sees the wolf coming and does not run away from the sheep, but lays down her life. I know that Jesus is right when he says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I know he's right. I know he's right in reminding us that sometimes we have to choose the will of God over the will of someone we love and someone who loves us. Who are my mothers and my brother? He once asked. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, he answered. But I also remember that when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he compared himself to a hen desiring to gather all in her brood to herself under her wings. I trust that Jesus understood why Lot's wife would turn back to be with her children. I trust Jesus was able to hold in his mind these two truths of single-minded devotion to God and solidarity with those we love I trust he knows that sometimes we have to choose what seems to be one over the other. And at other times, we are able to choose both. The poet Anna Akhmatova was a dissident in her native Russia throughout the better part of the 20th century. She had ample opportunity to flee the totalitarianism, political persecution, censorship, and warfare in which her nation was mired throughout most of her life. But she refused to leave her native land. In Lot's wife, she found a spiritual sister. And she wrote, The just man followed then his angel guide, when he strode on the black highway, hulking and bright. But a wild grief in his wife's bosom cried, Look back. It's not too late for a last sight of the red towers of your native Sodom, the square where once you sang, the gardens you shall mourn, and the tall house with empty windows 
where you loved your husband and your babes were born? She turned, and looking on the bitter view, her eyes were welded shut by mortal pain. Into transparent salt her body grew, and her quick feet were rooted to the plain. Who would waste tears on her? Is she not the least of our losses, this unhappy wife? Yet in my heart, she will not be forgot, who for a single glance gave up her life. I know that today is not Mother's Day. But what love this unnamed woman showed to her children, her dying children. What sacrifice she made for them. 